Hello, and welcome to The Bunker, a podcast for students of American history. Today's date is June 3rd, 2020, and this is episode number 25, where I'm joined by three student co-hosts to discuss the famous Will Counts, Little Rock Integration Picture from 1957. Little Rock, Arkansas, and the first phase of the trouble. The white population are determined to prevent colored students from going to the school their own children attend. Picketing the school, they clash with the police. The law of the land decrees integration of white and colored school children. But racial feeling still runs high in the southern states of America, as shown by these pictures taken by an amateur cameraman. The law of the land is rejected. A near riot developed, so the police made a number of arrests among the ringleaders of the white pickets. Later, the Central High School, Little Rock Storm Center, was sealed off by orders of the governor, who called out the State National Guard. Colored youngsters arrived under safe conduct by the guards. But no sooner had they arrived than they were off again. Arkansas had evidently decided to make its own laws on the subject of integration. Any colored person anywhere near the school came in for violent abuse, even if they now escaped physical violence. Phase two, President Eisenhower sends 500 troops of the 101st Airborne Division of the United States Army to Little Rock by night. They are to keep order and to see that the law of the land is obeyed. White and colored students to go to the same school. The federal government clamps down on Arkansas. What Governor Forbes proposes to do next apart from comparing Little Rock with Paris under the Nazis and Budapest under the Russians, remains to be seen. Start with the the historical context and kind of the introduction here. Um, And the first thing I wanted to do is talk about a book by a guy named Gunnar Merdahl, uh, who wrote a thing called The American Dilemma. And he basically said the degradation and dehumanization of blacks in the South wasn't going to gain any national attention until outside press started to cover discrimination in the South. And what I mean by outside press, the black press covered discrimination. The black press uh, published the Emmett Till image. The white press wasn't doing it. So he's really, this is a call, clarion call to those northern uh, journalists to get involved in this process. As a point of interest, 1953-54, there's about 2.5 million African-American children attending schools in 17 southern states and the District of Columbia, and they are all Mm -hmm. segregated schools. So they're claiming that these schools are equal, but in fact, they are far from equal. So we do have the Plessy case in 1896 that's separate but equal is okay. That's the established norm. It sanctions segregation. But in reality, that equality has gaps in it. So South Carolina, as an example, South Carolina, they went to school, uh, black schools with, with no running water, no flush toilets, or no electricity. You know, in, in one county, they spent $149 per kid for white students and 43 for black students. So there was a funding discrepancy, the resource discrepancy. It was a real mess. Now, this is part of the story that not a lot of people know, and it's really amazing. 
there's a thing called the Garland Fund. And what happened is this kid named Charles Garland, he was 21 years old. He inherited a whole lot of money from his dad, about 15 million in today's money. And his dad was a Wall Street broker who had done business with people that made money, you know, off the the sweat and toil of the American worker. And this young man at 21, Harvard educated, says, I don't want that money. It's blood money. So he refused the inheritance. And then a guy that you've probably heard of, Upton Sinclair, urged Garland to take the money, not for his own personal gain, but to disperse it to causes that he believed in. So he's going to give out hundreds, thousands of dollars in donations to help with social issues. So the Garland Fund that was established ended up giving money to the NAACP to fund their challenge of segregated schools. So this money that was drawn into this pool, this fund, be the equivalent of about $1.4 million today. Um, the NAACP hired a lawyer to kind of formulate the plan and the, and the lead lawyer they ended up hiring uh, to lead the charge in the courts was Thurgood Marshall. So he's gonna be the NAACP lawyer that actually argues the case and wins. So in 1954, Brown versus the Board of Education overturns Plessy. So sanctioned segregation is no longer legal. Problem is the court didn't give a timeline. So uh, a year later in 55, the Supreme Court in what's called Brown II said that the South had to integrate their schools with all deliberate speed. So that can be left to interpretation and that allowed the South to kind of organize resistance against integration, which brings us to Little Rock. So September 3rd, 1957, the local school board interpreted the court ruling by saying, all right, with all deliberate speed, we'll integrate, but we're gonna do it really slow and small scale. So they actually invite kids to apply to Little Rock. Horace Mann and Dunbar were the two black schools in the city. So they invited them to apply, very strict requirements, grades, character, the whole nine. So there's about a little over 30 kids that applied early on. That's whittled down to 15 and eventually nine. Uh, make it to the first day. So it's a very small scale integration attempt in a school that's about 2,000 white kids at the time. So they're checking the box that they're integrating, but in reality, it's just a really, it's a small blip. Right, so that brings us to September 3rd, where those nine are going to show up to integrate Little Rock High School, Central High School in Little Rock. And that will bring me to Corinne. Who are these Little Rock men and women that show up on that fateful day in September in Little Rock? Basically, like you said, they were like a group of non-African-American students who were the first kids to be enrolled in the all-white high school. Now, of that nine, do you have the age range for those nine at all? Wasn't it like 15 to 17? Yeah, there is actually a high school senior in there. It's going to escape me. Ernest Green is a senior, so he's got one year left. He'll be the first to graduate. But imagine how you guys feel. Think about September, the first day of school. You know, you're nervous to begin with. You don't know how your schedule is going to play out. Maybe there's some new people in your classes, maybe some new teachers as well. Layer all those nerves on the fact that you are uh, one of the very few Black faces that's integrating a school that does not want to be integrated. So that's a brave crew. Uh, not only the kids, but their families. I'd be in a tough spot to to put my kid in harm's way, knowing that there's a really agitated crowd out there that does not want that to happen. Now, when you guys, do you recall when you saw the image for the first time that we're talking about? Yeah. Like eighth grade. Did you see it in seventh or eighth grade? Yeah. I mean, I think I saw it like when I was about in uh, third grade, but not oh, in school, but I was at a, I think it was, yeah, my grandfather was showing me around the museum and he was like, hey, want to see some stuff from back in my day? And oh, no way. Like the pictures, and he was like, yeah, you couldn't go to school with 
black people back then and he was like look at that lady she looks like she's evil and so he was yeah he showed me up on oh my God. yeah now what was your reaction to the picture um my reaction was like it was alien like i i just couldn't comprehend like at that age i just couldn't comprehend the fact that somebody could hate somebody for going to the same school like that badly like i was maine were like a port little town where there was immigrants from all over the place like in most of my classes, there was only like five white kids. The most were just immigrants from other places that barely spoke English. So, well, Zach, I would have thought it would have been exact opposite. Look at me just assuming yeah. that because you were in a poor town in Maine, it's got a Dawson's Creek feel to it. Yeah. Um, not, not the way you just described it. And that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Most of Maine is it's diverse. Like there's no places to be segregated like here you've got um a town with, with mostly black people a town with mostly white people maine it's just they're just scattered evenly and there's already existing white places because there wasn't really any slaves there so it's just people moving there into rich communities and it's just really just blended that's interesting i did never considered that yeah. what about you Karen? when do you would your what was your reaction when you first saw it maybe in seventh or eighth grade i remember mr mcgurski would like put pictures up on the smart board and i remember him putting this one up specifically because like it was a big topic that i was really interested in and like i guess i was surprised that like they had so much trouble and there was so much like backlash at them like trying to just go to school which is crazy yeah, insane to, to think of that simple right of to, to an education um yeah. and this is the resistance again i've been stressing in the previous recordings with the the other groups that um this image is going to be beamed around the globe and it makes us look pretty bad so a lot of our gains during this era are going to be born out of that um, the global reaction to this First time I saw it, I was a, a junior in high school, and I went to a, a private all-boys school in Troy called LaSalle Institute. And the thing that struck me the most about the image was the color imbalance. Um, I've never felt my color, and, and I guess I would say I've never been in a room where I'm the only person in the room. So when I was looking at her, she's surrounded by white people, um, and, and I saw that as definite power imbalance. It just jumped out at me. And I kind of felt, um, didn't know her name at the time, but felt for her. And, and looking and feeling for her, I went to the left and saw uh, Hazel screaming. And I saw the look on their face. And I don't know if you've ever been on the business end of an angry sibling or parent, but you know, you know, sometimes people can get pretty hot and, and she's hot. And she's really basically, I, you can read her lips almost what she's saying, and it's not pleasant or pretty. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Zach, what is the, um, let's go to the governor's reaction. How did the governor uh, react to to this or what put in place to kind of address the integration plan on September? So he didn't like it to say the least. Like I looked at a bunch of speeches that he said. His accent is really thick and like, so he, he is Southern to say the least. Uh, he mobilized the National Guard to go down there. He didn't want integration at all, really. He thought that uh, it was a state's rights to decide these matters and that it shouldn't be up to the Supreme Court. He didn't really like it, to say the least. And he was just complaining 
the whole way and there's protests around the school and it was just chaos. And it's interesting you said states' rights because that should remind you of the Civil War when exactly. we were having these arguments over slavery. This you know, federal government can't tell us what to do with our slaves, much like they can't tell us how to educate our kids. Yeah. Right? Now one of the things um failed to mention with the Brown case, but I think it's worth mentioning is they actually used sociology to argue that case. And there was a thing called the Clark Doll experiment where they had kids look at a black doll and a white doll and they asked a series of questions which is the nicer doll which is the friendlier doll and you're not going to be surprised by the results most of the kids pick the white doll as the friendlier the smarter and the nicer so they use that sociology experiment to say this badge of inferiority in these inadequate and underfunded schools leads to a mindset of inferiority and superiority so uh, that helped play into it so this guy is trying to hold on to you know the white supremacist south so he uses the national guard to, to block the students from getting into school, even though the Supreme Court has said they have a right to that access. And if you ever like, listen to him talking or his speeches, the the like rallying cries, like there's a lot of people that are just like chanting and like, go, go, yeah, and like with him on it. And yeah, that, to... for me, that was the it's easy to fire up the crowd. There's there's a great clip yeah. from the University of Mississippi integration. It was a James Meredith case where Ross Bennett, I believe his name is the governor. He goes to a football game and he rallies the crowd. And honestly, it looks like a Nazi rally. There's no real difference. Confederate flag, Nazi flag, just swap them out. And it's really the same energy, the same agitated crowd that's angry because the... Yeah, they both admired each other. Yeah, they did indeed. I'm going to skip over Eisenhower for a second and go to Corinne and ask her about Elizabeth Eckford, who was kind of the center of this story in this image. Corinne, what can you tell me about Elizabeth? Elizabeth, who was 15 at the time, was one of the nine students that started attending Little Rock. And she was the only one out of all nine of the students to arrive separately. And the other eight arrived at a different location. Do you know, the- do you know why she was separate? No. Why she- why did she didn't join Zach? Do you know why she didn't join the other eight? Why they didn't all go in together? Because uh, she was just uh, she didn't have a phone at home. There it is. That gets at their economic status. Now, Corinne, you you mentioned her age. How old was she? Fifteen. Fifteen. As is Hazel Bryan. So just get your head around that for a second. You guys are sixteen, going on seventeen. So that this image captures two you know young teenage girls at the center of this storm. That's critically important. Mm-hmm. Anything else about Elizabeth? In the photo, she was blocked by um, going to school by crowds um, along with the National Guard. And people were calling out insults and like lynching slogans. And they wouldn't let her enter the school. So she tried to turn around and leave. But she realized she was like surrounded by a big angry mob. And the picture was taken of her while she was trying to walk away in fear. It's interesting you say that because it was an interview I remember years ago. I think it was on the Oprah show where she spoke about the National Guard. She was nervous about her first day of school for a variety of reasons. She actually made the dress she's wearing. So she was worried about what she was going to wear, how it was going to look. And then when she heard that the National Guard was going to be there, she actually kind of had this sigh of relief because she thought they were there to protect her. So like you said, when she tried to get in, they blocked her. And she's like, well, maybe I went to the wrong spot. And then she tried another door. They blocked her again. So the third time she figured it out. And that's where the picture kind of captures her walking away. Nice job. Zach, what about the gal behind her? Can you tell me about Hazel? So Hazel Bryan is your average um, white American kid in that town. 15 years old, about the same age, and just raised in the South to basically 
understand the norms of the time. Like black people are not the same as you. They shouldn't be in the same schools as you. She's like this becomes a symbol of hate from that picture to her that what's happening is foreign to her. She doesn't understand it and she hates it. So she's going off angry, yelling, like just yelling and being so mean and awful. She becomes hatred. And afterwards, she actually regrets doing that. I, I forget when, but she actually like makes up with Elizabeth and like says, hey, look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Like, I realize now my mistakes. Yeah, can you imagine having your life defined by your worst moment? That's a dopey 15-year-old girl that's raised a certain way. She's reacting very naturally in her mind. And it's captured for the world to see that this is not really the way you're supposed to act. Um, once again, 15 years old, you know, and that's a consideration that needs to be, you know, part of the conversation. You even look, obviously, she, you're drawn to her because of her facial expression. And you're drawn to Elizabeth, who seems to have this quiet dignity and stoicism about her. But look at Hazel is just, it's a vitriol. She's a tormentor. And you can feel that. And you look around the bystanders, you don't know if they're just being indifferent or, or they're finding pleasure. Um, and based on Corinne said, uh, yeah, yeah, the lynchings, yeah, they're finding pleasure in this. And how brave to be a 15-year-old girl surrounded by a bunch of you know, people that think they have the advantage. But I think she comes out with the advantage, just the way that she kind of presents herself. You know, the way she the way she goes through okay. Marianne Burleson, which is yours. What can you tell us about Marianne? Just to, to orient Marianne in this picture, by the way, if you have the picture in front of you, those are are going to be listening to this later she is in the far left yep, uh, of yep. the picture a blonde girl holding some books right right, right right so she was a friend of hazel Bryan. her role um she was she was just kind of there enjoying all the action um and she was more of an agitator towards kind of the hate that was going on um from what i picked up from it it's it's there and was her friend and that's more of what I got out of it. The bystander but. piece is important. Yeah, her face, she seems to be either squinting from the sun or having a half smile. So they maybe yeah, she was taking was, pleasure in it. She was just yeah. egging. It seemed to me as if she was just enjoying and egging her on, which is obviously not anything that's supposed to be looked upon. So, Yeah, the norm in the South. But she is kind of along for the ride. So you can probably think in your mind of friends who are leaders and who are followers. So maybe yep. we have an altercation in school. Uh, and people kind of circle around and watch it. There's going to be those trying to break it up and others kind of stirring the fight on. You yes. know what I thought of when I thought of her? You guys ever see the movie Mean Girls? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. You remember um, Regina George's sidekick? Yes. Um, yeah. I forget the name. Well, there's two. Who's the one that was on Party of Five? That's the one I'm thinking of. The kind of yes girl that just follow her around all the time. I think the actress's name is Lacey Chabray. But I remember her kind of being this kind of just tag along, you know, goofy, dopey girl that followed the lead of Regina George, who was nasty. <laughs> the Regina George in this picture is going to be Sammy Dean. And she's the one in the picture who's wearing a black dress. And she has a bit of anonymity because she's actually turned around to talk to her father at the time. She is a special kind of nasty. I, I don't know. Think of the meanest girl that you know in our high school. Re, Regina George would be a, a nice comparison if she was a, a racist and, and took it to a very violent uh, end and conclusion. She's a bully is what she is. And she's doing something that the National Guard can't do, um, that other white supremacists in the crowd can't do. She's going to actually torment those kids inside the school. So she leads this group that terrorizes um, and torments the, the Little Rock Nine. 
matter of fact, she agitates the point where uh, Millie John Brown gets uh, Millie Jean Brown gets suspended for reacting to the the taunts, and she actually makes up these little placards to hand out. Said eight, uh, one down, eight to go. Um, she is nasty. She jumps out the window the first day of school because she doesn't want to be in school with black people. She eventually w- will get suspended from school for the year, uh, and because she's active she's first off she's lying she talks about black students harassing her and hitting on her and she's trying to just really stir it up she's protected to a degree by this image because you can't see her face but she is a part of it and she needs to kind of be exposed and sammy dean and her old sidekick marianne marianne's along for the ride sammy dean's front and center because she she's the former student council president by the way so she's a leader in that school so think about the power she has, the position she has, and the leadership potential she has, and she uses it for neat, uh, evil and nasty ways. Um, so there's uh, the two sidekicks. Uh, now, they're going to close down school, and that's when we bring in um, President Eisenhower. So Riley, what's uh, Eisenhower's reaction to what's happening in Little Rock for that first month of school? So they're going to down school for three weeks. What does Eisenhower do? Governor uh, Falbus, I think is, is how you pronounce his name. Yeah. Um, he... The board, the board of education shut down the school. Eisenhower, Eisenhower's reaction when Governor Faubus or how he was going to take away the protection for the when the students were were coming back to school. He Eisenhower passed the executive order. Um, it was executive order one zero seven three zero, and that was it provided protection and federalized Arkansas's army and the one hundred and first airborne division federal army. They were all allowed to protect the the nine from entering the school, and they actually had uh, protection the entire year, which which actually allowed them to enter the school um, after after it was reopened. So that he he basically overruled the governor helped out the nine there so he he was definitely a big role in helping out helping now out he's a, yeah he's interesting because remember the supreme court doesn't have an army they just right. make the rulings it's the president's job to enforce the rules. exactly so he has to his hand is kind of forced he had been kind of i don't want to say indifferent but privately he believed that you can't change people's hearts by laws he really felt that so he was really delayed in his reaction but here we are using the president's executive power for the executive yep. order uh, 10730 uh, to send troops in there to protect these kids for their legal right to get an education. Fabus mm-hmm. is going to um, actually find a loophole. Um, and after the, the troops are going to be there for the year, we're going to close down the schools after 58 and they're going to close until 1960. And a lot of communities did that. Uh, instead of integrating, they just closed their schools down. So white kids of means could go to private Catholic schools and African-American students were kind of left out. Um, so their schools were closed for, for almost two years in Arkansas. Prince Edward County in Virginia closed for four years. So when they reopened, they had like 21-year-old freshmen going to school um, showing the federal power. So think about like the Whiskey Rebellion or think about even Andrew Jackson refusing to enforce the order for the Indians to be removed to the Trail of Tears. We have some different plays out. want to get to next uh, the guy who took the picture. So Corinne, who's the guy that took the picture, uh, this famous segregation picture? Will Pounce was the photographer and he worked for the Arkansas Democrat in Little Rock. And his photo was very famous, and it quickly spread across the country and became a symbol of the widespread resistance of discrimination. 
and currently is known as one of the most famous images of the civil rights movement. Nice job. And he's a relatively young guy just getting started. He's in his early 20s. He actually graduated from Central High, but they used to do morning um, and evening editions of newspapers. So there's other shots that look very similar to this. And then one of the reasons we know about his is because he actually had it in the Gazette for the evening publication. So he got a jump on the other people. A local guy uh, who captures this image and goes down in history as one of the most famous. Zach, a, a less famous and less known individual is Davis Fitzhugh. What was his role in this story? Because it's a pretty interesting. Very, very interesting story. And I'm surprised I could barely find anything on him. Uh, but he's the one who pays for an ad in uh, the local paper uh, that says, like, in bold, where is this? Oh, it says, study this picture, know the shame. Uh, and basically, he's ashamed that somebody could hate another person that much for just wanting to go to school. Basically, just wants to show awareness of this is this is us. You really want to be, you know, Hazel? Are we all Hazels? Who are we? Who do we want to be? Very good. Yeah. And the, the title, it says, if you live in Arkansas, study this picture and no shame. When hate is unleashed and bigotry finds a, bigotry finds a voice, God help us all. And he's in Arkansas. He's a Southern dude, right, who out of pocket gets that ad posted. So people, he rubs their nose in it. You better think about who you are and who you want to be. Like you said, do we want to be a bunch of hazels? Or do we want to really think how we're going to treat individuals? If all men are created equal, man, we better live up to it. Nice job. Riley, I have Grace. And Grace is not in the picture Davis Fitzhugh is not in the picture and Will Counts is not in the picture because he took it. So these three are all people that are part of the story, but not in the picture. What's uh, Grace Lorch's story? She She's a very interesting <laughs> character in my opinion. She was, she's always been, so her mindset has always been activist. For example, she, when she, she was living in Boston, she was part of the teachers union on the board of directors for, for education. And her mindset has always been activist. And when she moved to Arkansas in 1955, she actually was one of the people to escort, uh, help escort the nine into the school, um, specifically Elizabeth Eckford. They have some history. And apparently she was oh, Elizabeth Eckford, the main the main girl in the photo there. She was getting harassed, you know, shoved, pushed, um, everything that was going on. And I actually there's a quote here that I have from Lorch saying to someone that was harassing Elizabeth to leave her alone and to leave this girl alone. So she was her story is she helped escort elizabeth into the into the school um which well, i thought was really cool i'm glad you brought her story up because both her and her husband have lived an activist life i mean uh, he had a job back east and ended up getting fired for subletting his apartment in new york to a black couple so they they walk the walk and they talk to talk the first elderly white woman that elizabeth encountered looked like a friendly face so elizabeth was looking for help and when she approached this woman she spit in her face Right. And then she's sitting, the famous picture of Grace, Elizabeth is sitting on a bench after she walks through the crowd and Grace comes up to protect her and get her on the bus to get her out of there. Very honorable and, and not often told story about a woman that made a difference by resisting the crowd. But this is not out of character for her. She had done it her entire life. She committed right. to Hazel, which I thought was admirable and something that could be modeled. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be Hazel Bryan or do you want to be Grace Lorch? Now, you got to think about how that sinks in for some people. And this really opens the eyes uh, of Southern segregationist racist reactions to the world. So she's pretty special. So if you, there's a great clip, and I'm going to post it underneath this uh, little audio we do about it's called Eyes on the Prize, and they do a nice job of the video, and you'll see a lot of this uh, image come to life, and you'll see Grace there. And I was watching it the other night, 
as I was watching um, Elizabeth sit by herself, you can actually see Hazel Bryant walk behind her uh, on her way to her next thing. She was going to go watch like a, a TV show that had like American Bandstand or something. For, so for her, when Hazel left, this was just another day, you know, just no big deal. I screamed at a black girl. I didn't want my school. Went over, had some soda pop and hung out with my friends. And then the picture comes out and everything changes. <laughs> Well, I want to finish up just with the global impact of the image. And like I said, the whole world is watching and the Soviets are really saying, hey, if, how can we be the bad guys here when you won't even let white kids and black kids go to school together? That's problematic, but it also helps push the civil rights movement legislation forward. Not to say the communists are clear. Uh, they have their issues, as you know, but this is real. This is really something we're paying attention to. Uh, and the issue is not done. So I see this as a, it's kind of the, it's a big move in the right direction. Uh, we are integrating schools. It's going to be a slow roll, but the reality is the problem still exists today. Uh, the idea of uh, superiority, inferiority still exists today. We saw it play out with uh, the George Lloyd story, which is a horrific story to talk about. Floyd, excuse me. And the other thing, just a question, do you guys know which the most segregated state in the country is in terms of schooling, just as a guess, any idea? Mississippi? Nope. Good guess. Kind of a trick question. It's the great state of New York. Yes. Uh, that stings a little bit, doesn't it? So one of the things that happened up north is you were allowed to have a regionally based schools um, if they were all black because the zip code was just dominated by black families and that was okay. But what they don't tell you in that story is a lot of those African-American communities were formed that way by implicit racist laws against white black people living in white communities so that's that's the issue still to this day it's more zip code related and the funding issue is still at play there was this yeah, show on nickelodeon it's, it's unbelievable to watch this but nickelodeon did um i think it was called school swap where they took a kid from the inner city and say took him to boston spa and then they took a boston spa kid and he got to go to the inner city school um, just to kind of get a taste. And I remember watching this and this young man who came from inner city school walked in and think about walking into Boston spa. Once you get beyond all the lavender out there, but you walk into this beautiful school with smart boards and laptops and all this other stuff. Imagine not having that at your school and wondering, Whoa, what is this? The teacher gets right to work, smart boards up. Kids are conversating mm -hmm. about content, not other nonsense. And you get to focus and there's advanced placement courses and, and they don't have that. So the issue is still around today. So we, we look at this as a triumphant you know, gain in the civil rights movement, but we still have work to do. And I think uh, the current events have proven that to be the case. I know the one thing we did right was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize.